Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Selective Hearing. I am your host, Julie DeMar, and this week I have another special guest. I have Mr. Joey Pagano. We are going to have a very beautiful, in-depth discussion about addiction. For a lot of you that have been listening to me, I have always talked about how I had a very turbulent childhood. The reason for that is I am actually a child of substance abuse, meaning that I had a parent that was struggling with substance abuse. I had to become educated in the matter myself in order to understand the true struggles that my father was dealing with so that we could come around and have a better relationship in my adult life. I am sharing this with you with the hopes that anyone who is out there that has not really been completely educated in the subject or who is experiencing this personally or no know someone else that is can kind of shine light on this situation and can become a beacon of hope because I personally from my own experience think that the biggest issue that we find and when I turn over the floor to Joey he can explain a lot of these things to you I think that the biggest issue that we find is that we just have lack of information regarding what it means to truly be an addict in that lack of information we don't necessarily know how to connect or how to have compassion or even how to help our loved ones through the processes that they're going through. I'm going to turn over the floor to you now so you can explain who you are and what it is that you do and then we can get into this conversation and hopefully inspire and be that beacon of hope for someone out there listening today. Right. Thanks, Julie. Hey, I'm, I'm Joey Pagano. I'm, uh, I wear many hats. I'm a licensed social worker, therapist. Just got hired on as a professor. You know, I'm a person in long-term recovery, father, son, husband. Lastly, I'm a doctoral student, so I'm working on my doctorate of social work. So I stay busy and I'm continually trying to be of service in some capacity to uh, the vulnerable populations of our world. So I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. What is, in my opinion, so great about what is getting ready to take place today is there are two set of lenses in this conversation mm-hmm. because you have me mm-hmm. who's sitting in the seat of a child now, now an adult who has been through this from one end of the spectrum and then we have you who has had your own journey and come out of it and now you're sitting in a different seat I would like to start the show by you kind of explaining to the audience what motivated you to make the changes in your life that you made and then how do you apply what you've endured and what you've ultimately come out of to what you do in the field with helping pull people who are trying to get into recovery off the street. Jeez, I mean, there, there's, you know, what made me today is, is a lot of hard-won experiences. I wouldn't trade any of them. You know, I wouldn't trade any of them. I wouldn't trade the pains because it put me right where I need to be to help people. I think through my experiences uh, makes me that beacon of hope, right? And I'm able to light the way for persons that are struggling with some form of uh, substance use disorder we call addiction, right? I'm here. I, I have these degrees, but most importantly, I have my lived experience. You know, I'm a son that, uh, you know, put my parents through, right? I took them through active addiction, 
right? Uh, I think one person uses, but like the whole family suffers, right? We all we all go through that. And our parents become collateral damage as of, you know, a child would go through uh, the collateral damage in my part too. And, and like you were explaining, Julie, you know, like my said, my son is uh, 18 and, and he's went through that too with me, as well as just so many other persons along the way. How I became to be who I am today was through those those struggles. But what I come to find is in my life is, is my struggles did not define who I am. They help refine me into who I am and the practitioner, um, the parent, and the human being I am today. You know, I'm guided through like things like unity, through autonomy, through self-determination, through love. And like I said, it wasn't always like that. This wouldn't have been a path that, that I would have chose for myself in any capacity. I think that my path, my path in life, my purpose, right? We'll say my purpose in life has been chosen for me, you know, and, and as we'll get in my book and later on, like I have a chapter called Quit Choosing and Get Chosen. And I believe that's how I became a social worker. I wouldn't even have known what a social worker is in active addiction, yet alone when I was a kid, right? I wanted to be all these other things. Um, a social worker wouldn't have been a, uh, a known profession to me. But uh, like I said, is sometimes our purposes are built through these hard-won experiences and we are refined into the person we are today. I do. I do agree with that. I just want to shine light on some of the things that you just said. One thing is the experiences that families go through because they're on this roller coaster ride with you. Mm -hmm. I can vividly remember never as a child just to to get, give you an audience perspective as a child never feeling safe or secure and always being in a constant state of fear not only for you know our safety and the things that we were going through but always wondering like if the phone rang in the middle of the night or if someone came to the house in the middle of the night were we gonna get like the news that my dad died and living in that constant state of anxiety and fear and those feelings, because when you're a child, you're very um, unconditional with everything mm -hmm. as far as your family members are concerned. You don't see them as bad people or as addicts or in any kind of way. Like, and I, I'm not saying that addicts are bad people, but I'm just speaking through the lenses of a child. Like you don't mm -hmm. see things for the negative that they could potentially be. What you see is like, this is a person that I love and I don't know what's going on and I don't want them to be hurt or dead. Being on that emotional roller coaster, being in an environment where we hit it and we hit it very well because my mom was capable of doing that. So there was never a situation where I could tell people this is what's going on or people knew why I was behaving a certain way or being the kind of kid that I was because not only was I like boggled down with all the, these different emotions as a result of what was taking place with my dad we were told like you don't tell people your business so there was like two sets of traumas being induced yeah this is why i want to have this conversation and be extremely transparent and go deep with this today and why i say it's beautiful because when you're in a situation where you're not allowed you know people are embarrassed by their their friends their family their community they don't want to share what's going on because they don't want that negative viewership on them in addition to what you're experiencing with the person that is going through addiction there's so many different points of reference that inflict trauma on not only the person 
first and that is as you say an active addiction but the family and because we're not properly educated and well versed in what it is because we don't talk about it it's very hard to heal as the people who are dealing with it on the back end and as the person that's walking through it as an abuser and you said something that was said to me in therapy years ago that helped me change my mindset and it was do you think if your father knew what this would do to his life that he would make this choice could you honestly say like knowing him and knowing what he's experienced that he would choose that for himself and furthermore for you and that prompted me to ask one day how did you get there and it was like hey you know it was the 80s you know you go to a party you know you work all week you go to a party no one knew that this was going to have such a mind-altering effect on your brain chemistry that you would become dependent on this it was just you know a way to like people go have a drink or a cigarette or something it was a casual thing that grew into something that was a monster that brings me to your journey and how it is a testimony for you to help people but also for i want to hear from you and share you with the audience how can you explain what addiction really is to people because people think that and i was one of those people it's a choice mm -hmm. people think that you want to do this and they don't really understand that when you're on these chemical substances that they actually alter your brain chemistry and you're and they alter the chemistry of your body and you actually become dependent and need this and out of that need out of that altered brain chemistry there's a lot that comes along with that so i would like you to talk about that so people can have a better understanding and um, apply this to the way that they approach maybe friends or family members or other people in their community that are struggling in this way and I'll try to give this as, as tangible as I can. Um, a lot of this, like I said, is in my book where I just try to, that, that's my purpose. And, and I want to try to give you an idea. Listen, like w when I was in active addiction, I, I remember so many times having conversations with my dad. He's like, well, why can't you just quit? Why can't you just quit? And I said, dad, like, you know, it, it just doesn't work like that. And I would just tell him like, you know, I can get clean any day I want as long as it's not today. And 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 that's like, you know, that that was that was how I felt. And and the listen, the disease of addiction is a monster and it's like it's like a mo it's like it's a it's it's just a power. It, it it just it just hijacks your brain and and my brain would talk to me in my own in my own voice and and it would be like a drill sergeant, right? It would just tell me like you're getting up today. Like you're not being sick today, Joey. And I would just be like, "Yes, sir." And I and I would suit up and I would march for the disease of addiction and you know, I was uh, I wouldn't stop and, and and I would burn all bridges and it would like I would sell anything right and if this might sound harsh you'd sell anything I'd sell your stuff I'd sell my stuff I'd put anything in that spoon in that stem in that whatever I use is I used and, and like there was nothing right it would just drive you to the bitter ends and there's no holidays there's no birthdays there's no you don't go fishing and everything with addiction there's no time for that you work a 24 7 365 job for the disease of addiction and every day right it, it, it like I says it, it it just it was constant work and, and you know if I had maybe some gifts some presents I had for my son it's all free game right when my money's gone those got to get sold whatever it is whatever it got to go like there's no time for nothing there's no time for love there's no time for emotion when the disease of addiction got you hijacked like it might seem very harsh but that's how it is there's no time for anything right everything else feelings are just they they, they don't matter right there is no feelings everything's 
numbed. You know, I could I could literally watch a house burn down and just sit there and whatever, some horrible thing, and you could just sit there emotionless and feelingless. And the only thing that goes through your brain is to get the next one. And it's crazy, but it's how it is. Listen, the disease would wake me up in the morning. It'd be like, listen, so what we're gonna do, you're gonna go out and you're gonna get high. And I don't care what anything else happened. And I would be like, oh, but I'm hungry. And the disease would just, yo, you ain't hungry today. You don't got no time to eat today. You're marching for me, Joey. And I would just suit up and I'd march again and again and again. And and like I said, is I wanted to love my son. You know, like I said, I'm the only addict in my family. And I had no time for my son. Listen, I got a chapter in my book about, you know, my son. Listen, my son was six at the time, I, I go to the park and I, and I was like, I was divorced at the time to one of my many hostages, right? That's what we call them an active addiction is hostage, right? There is no healthy relationship. You're married to the disease of addiction. There's no, the wife don't get any time. You know what I mean? Like everything must go. You know what I mean? And all the emotions, all the feelings, all the money, everything must go. This is like real how addiction really is and like i said it's it's it has different we'll say shortcomings here and there but but the central part in this the, the central part of addiction is a self-centeredness and like the disease wants you all yourself and i would uh go to the park and uh i want to spend time with my son and my mom would go and, and the disease when i just want to just hang out with him and the disease like you, you don't got no time for that and my son was just like you know he would have words to my mom like doesn't my, doesn't my dad love me and i loved him but i couldn't and i, I had no time for that and it would just rip me and it was just like clawing at me like you gotta go and and and, and I couldn't and my, my brain it was like the left side of my brain is trying to sell me an idea and the right side of my brain is trying to buy it and that is how the committee worked in my head and it was no time for anything right and there's no promises kept when the drugs and money ran out and that's all it was you know it was just like yo it's time to get high but my son's there I need to see my son no there's no time for that Joey you gotta go sorry Xavier I, I gotta go I gotta go why do you gotta go dad why why can't I see you? I gotta go. I gotta go. This D's like, you gotta go. You're late. Get to work, Joey. And Xavier would just scratch. I want to see you, Dad. Uh, what, what's wrong with you? I was like, Mom or Grandma, what's wrong with Joey? What's wrong with Dad? What's wrong with him? He's sick. But why, why can't he just take pills to be okay? He's not that. He's a different sick. He can't stop. And then I would just like, and I just wanted to see my son. And that's how it went. Over. Over. And over. You know, um, with my kids. And did I love them? Yes. But like I said, like, you know, I was only able to work one full-time job, and that full-time job was addiction. You know what I mean? Like, in overtime, overtime wasn't to see my son. Overtime was more addiction, right? And I didn't get paid for none of that, you know? Um, and that's how it was for, like, decades. I was stuck in addiction for 20, almost 22 years. And um, I always say that, like, hell isn't just a place you can go. It's what I carried around for a long time. You know, I, I, I couldn't stop, right? And a lot of people don't get out of that. A lot of people, like, you know, burn the, and blow up their bridges, right? They're, they're, you know, and ruin every relationship. Like, there's no time for relationships. Like, to have a healthy relationship, regardless of who it's with, right? You need communication. You need some form of commitment. And you see, you need some form of compromise. I, I couldn't communicate because I couldn't tell my son. I couldn't tell my parents that I can't stop using. I mean, like, they witness and eventually after they get out of there, denial they could see what's going on right there's no commitment to anything right it's it's constant manipulation it's just constant one more and one more is never enough there is no compromising with the disease of addiction none there's no like i said there's no holidays joey why don't we go to a wedding like you know weddings were off right we can't go to a wedding i can't be opiate withdrawal right we call it dope sick right there's no time for that so how could you have any kind of marriage how could you have any kind of relationship with a child how 
could have you, you you hold a job some people hold jobs that still like baffles me you know what i mean i just told you kind of like a real tangible experience of what it was like for me and not that i'm any different i'm sure a zillion other persons that have suffered from active addiction could could completely identify with that story as crazy as that sound that was like a monday you know mm-hmm. um not that that not that they glamorize or anything but like that's how it was and, and not to be any worse or any better than anybody but like that's how it is in a disease of addiction and it hijacks your brain where you 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 don't control anything and like i said is and there's no way out not everybody gets out i went through a lot of hard-won experiences and as horrible as that sounded as horrible as it sounded i wouldn't trade any of that because it, did, it made me who i am it hurt my child it hurt my family it hurt me but i wouldn't be here sitting talking to you right i wouldn't be helping people the best of my ability and i, and I believe in our purposes or defined by like our past and what happens for us and i don't think to us right that happened for me is maybe as crazy as that sound but i feel that that's that's very applicable to me right and, and my struggles like that all that that doesn't define who i was right they've refined me all those experiences have refined me into all the stuff who i told you everything that i do and who i am today i'm filled with love i, I learned how to love I, I didn't always know that that might sound crazy but like i i, I had to learn these emotions right because i got stuck in addiction for active addiction for 20 just decades and it was just your emotions stop and feeling stop and like i, I had i unfelt feelings i didn't understand all this stuff it's like a constant vicious cycle of like one one more and not enough and the best way to relate when i have conversations with my parents who just became collateral damage and it would just took them down if they didn't learn like how to discern my actions and like and and who i was and to love me from a distance you know i would suck the love right out of them it was like i was a like spiritual vampire right i would just like continue to enable me because you loved me and unconditional love is it, it's great and we should always have unconditional love and i believe that in my heart but you have to have a line and you have to know where like i said is like listen you're gonna kill me because i'm gonna love you to death and it's like mom can i have my i need money mom i gotta have money please don't give up okay i won't give up on you you know but like I, those actions would just suck you in and as a parent my mom had to learn how to love me from far away and when to say no and, and understand that no is a complete sentence and like to just cut me off and like that's what i had to go through those struggles shaped me into who i am today and and like helped me live sometimes those decisions aren't, aren't easy right it wasn't easy my mom she loved me that's that's a little bit of a, a tangible experience truly of what active addiction is and the struggles that i'm sure a lot of people could identify with i 100% will agree that when you are struggling with substance abuse that the only thing that matters is the substance that you're using and everything that you do will be to ensure that you get that high i i 100 hands down um agree and it doesn't matter in what realm you live in Mm -hmm. if you're on a substance then that is just what it's going to be your ability to manipulate the people who are closest to you so that you can serve that addiction, that's what's gonna happen. You, your ability to not only let everyone else down, but yourself down repeatedly, 
that is what's going to happen. There are people who live on the streets or in the streets 24 seven. And then there are people, which is a situation that I was in that are able to go to work yeah, yeah. and present well, Yeah. but they, the driving factor for going to work every day is like, I'm going to get this paycheck yeah. and not use it in my household. I'm taking it to the streets. Yeah. I'm going to get this paycheck and I'm going to go party, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. I'm going to go use, I'm going to serve this addiction. Mm -hmm. And then when the money's gone, I'm going to find another way yeah. to continue to serve it. And I'm going to continue yeah. to repeat this cycle. And I'm going to continue to drag everyone that cares about me unconditionally. Mm. That was my experience as a child mm. growing up in a household with a parent that was struggling. Yes. We we lived in suburbia. I had two parents. They both worked. It was very easy to hide in plain sight. Yeah. To live in hell and hide it very well. So me speaking on the show about uh, the ability to present well versus being well, I have, I can, I'm very, very experienced in the matter because that's, that was an environment that I came from. It's crazy because I feel like, especially with the crack epidemic, when yeah. that hit, it hit the inner city so hard and then it, it, it trinkled out into the suburbs, but we like to dress it and present it different. When it's in the inner city, it's a criminal problem. And when it's in the suburbs, it's a substance abuse problem. Yeah. And the people are handled differently, educated differently, and treated differently when it comes to the things that you do to serve mm -hmm. addiction. And now we have this new age of things taking place. Like, I swear to you, I just mm -hmm. keep seeing people my age because of fentanyl running rapid, yeah. just dying. I keep hearing about like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that the kid was, you know, well, I'm, we're not a kids, we're 38, but you know, that's still young. Like, it, I'm like, what? Like, maybe I haven't seen you since high school or maybe, you know, the last time I did see you was when we were in our early twenties and everybody was, you know, partying. Mm. And now that has grown into something else. And now like fentanyl's in the streets and drug dealers don't care. I. As harsh as this sounds, yeah. I said recently, I said, I remember when there was a time where drug dealers didn't want to kill their clients because they wanted to make money. And that now it's almost like they're, they don't care. Yeah. If you die, you die. You know, like if you die, you die. But I, I hear like about all of these younger people who are battling with addiction and they're dying. They're getting clean. They're going back to the street. And that, that one more time is their last time. And I know like in other generations that happened too, but not as common as it's happening now. So now we have like a trend of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and, you know, people just leaving this world because addiction is winning. You know, it's, it's, it's just beating people down. And we have someone like yourself who you've been there, you know, the streets, you, 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 you know what it means to, to beat that path, to serve that addiction. And you're going out into the field now. And I feel like it was rough back then that came through the 80s. You know, I know what the crack epidemic was all about. I've, I've experienced many people go that way. But I feel like this is a new monster. It is. That's holding it on is. to people. How do you remain grounded? Because I know that having your boots on the ground in the way that you do and you going out there and trying to, you know, live your purpose and, and help as many people as you can and you mm -hmm. having that firsthand experience with it. How do you remain grounded in active war? 
because I feel like what you're doing now, you were beating the path in a different way. You're on the battlefield as a different kind of soldier. And now you're back out there. You could honestly be the difference between someone living and dying today. And there is a lot of emotion and trauma and things to be associated with that. Just like I said, you're just a different kind of soldier now. How are you remaining grounded and remaining steadfast and Mm. helping these people live another day? Listen, it's it's hard. You know, I'm actually on vacation this whole week and uh, because the stress level is just so high. So hard, so hard. You know, it is a different one. I can relate to everything you just said. From my parents hiding it, even moments of that, till, you know, all the different suburb, you know, suburban, inner city, all that stuff. You know, that's how it is here around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, to the crack epidemic, to, to everything, to how fentanyl. Listen, I constantly work in the trenches. I'm constantly stressed. I constantly have to work on myself to keep myself grounded. I mean, my wife and I both work and it's it's, it takes a toll. Listen, we have these things in, in, in Pennsylvania. We'll just say back in 17, I was uh, I was a nonprofit president of this group called Club Serenity Incorporated. And uh, I tell the whole tale in my book because I think people need to hear this. And it's just kind of crazy how it happened. Uh, you know, we were having all these opioid epidemic or, or overdoses, right? Everybody's dying. This is like kind of like before fentanyl. Like, listen, when I used to use, um, it was treacherous, right? But there wasn't like one shot, one kill, right? It wasn't like the fentanyl fentanyl epidemic we know now right it was it was like pre i have almost 10 years clean so like right before all the overdoses before it got really out of hand um before governor wolf right governor of pennsylvania um our former governor uh, he made these things called centers of excellence and they were a way to engage people more assertive uh we'll say than the normal well you're going to drug and alcohol treatment you missed your therapy session all right we're going to call you and send you a letter listen if i'm an active addiction i don't care about a letter and you could call me all day i'm not answering and i'm not surely not getting clean on your time so i'm working at this nonprofit recovery group i'm doing this the whole the whole modality of this center of excellence that the governor wolf created i was doing this with no job not getting paid right not getting paid anything just going out as this recovery cowboy and helping people i had my whole car decked out in these You've seen it, man. People thought that this guy, like, you know, because I came out of jail. I'm like, listen, like I have recovery in my blood. I said, I'm going out and helping every single person I can. And I'm not stopping until I'm dead. And that's just like my logic has been since the gate. And, you know, I, I ran out. I got my whole car decaled, like I said. And I had this like phoenix rising from the ashes and these big arms on my Dodge Dart. Should have seen it. I'm driving around. If you're using drugs at that time, I was the last person you wanted to see. So I'm riding around just helping people, taking the treatment, right? And then I start running out of money you know i can't do this so we're helping people and, and like the job that i'm at now like comes to me in, in the fruition of the center of excellence like sphs southwestern pennsylvania human services you know they come and they say listen like they come into the club serene like listen we want to pay you to work for us and i was like i don't want paid how can i get paid and this is a time like i couldn't conceptualize any kind of future because the disease of addiction has like a theoretical framework of its own of its own right that tells you like you're not good enough and like you can't you don't need to keep dreaming but I kept dreaming and I kept running and I kept going right because the disease is more than an addiction the disease like it just it just hot wires your brain it takes a long time to get those behaviors even to regress I finally 
accepted that offer. Like the, like I said, the, the chief operating officer and, and this, this the supervisor at the time, right? That you need to work, you need to work for us. Why should I work? I don't want to get paid. And, you know, and I, like I said, I accepted that. And I, I've been working. This is the same facility that I was in intensive outpatient therapy at. You know, now I'm like, a, I'm, a, I'm a project supervisor in the trenches, like you're saying, staying grounded. And it's hard being grounded. Listen, I'm, it, it's hard. You know, I'm, I'm back and forth and, and, and listen, it's just such a, we're, we're doing cutting edge drug and alcohol, right? Like I have my own program, right? And my own program is, and I don't represent that program or anything is, is like one modality of recovery. So I represent like a 12 step, right? And like, so I do my own program, but I, now I work in drug and alcohol. So I have to take off that hat and I have to be in a program that can meet people where they're at, not where I'm, I'm at, right? If I just went to church for recovery, like I'm not going to just sell you church. I'm not going to sell you treatment if I go to treatment. I want to meet people where they're at. I don't want to stigmatize anybody anymore, right? Like I said, my book encompasses those attitudes of stigma and the dogma of, which is rigid, unbending doctrine, right? Which addiction treatment says, you got to do it this way. You got to recover now. No, like I said, like if they're not ready to recover, I can't say the right thing to them. But if they're ready, then when I'm in the trenches, I can't say the wrong thing to them. So... How do I stay grounded? I carry that attitude within my work. Is it easy? No. Is it easy to do consistently? Of course not. Like I said, is I, I work with like a, I'm very agreeable to this, or the harm reduction, right? Listen, I got people, I'm in the, I mean, I work in this county called Green County. It's the southwesternmost county in PA, very rural. And there's barely any resources. Uh, you know, some of the clients were on the cusp of West Virginia, which is very rural, right? I'm in, I'm in the hills of West Virginia trying to help people with no resources nothing and tell them like listen like do you want to be clean <laughs> no right so i gotta learn hey listen i ain't here to tell you you gotta get clean now not that i play god or anything like that i'm just here to help you when you do listen and listen joey i'm still using cool I, I i'm not gonna condone it but listen like take us narcan narcan's a naloxone right it's a life-saving drug that i believe in so harm reduction tells me it's like i need to step off my high horse and and just not tell them what they need to do, but just to like love them until they're ready to do what they, 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 they are agreeable to do. So we talk about like, I just dropped Narcan off in front of their house. They don't even want to see me, right? Two weeks, maybe they'll call me. Client calls me. Can you drop off some more? Yeah, I'll come next week. You know, maybe the end of their path is maybe some form of abstinence. But like I said, some of them take, you know, some people take a long time to get there. And, and like, I stay grounded. Listen, I'm so social work. Maybe that's that's part of what helps me. Like, I'm so accepting of people. Like, I, I'm so, like, whatever you want to do, wherever you're at, like, I, yes, I, I, I have my own, you know, background and, and, you know, I just let people just, you know, be who they need to be, you know, get clean when, when they're ready. And, and, and do you need inpatient? Of course, you probably do. You probably need the detox. Like, but I'm not this authority. There's people, like I said, I, you know, I work with the law and, and different stuff, forms of criminal justice. And there's other boundaries that, you know, that, that might mandate people do other things that is what it is you can't do nothing about that but i'm here to just help people um like i've been not only having life experience i've been increasing my education so i can get the additional information to not only bridge the gap with life experience but to have just to combine it all and and, and be that guy right that guy that like i'm gonna meet you where you're at yes i got education it doesn't mean like i know what's best for you recovery is individualized and i stay grounded because i i care Carry that attitude inside and outside of my life. And, you know, um, whether like I'm applying it in my work, I, I try to apply the same attitude when I'm parenting my daughter, right? It's, it's like autonomy. It's like letting these people, my girl, right? My daughter, my wife, 
my clients and them all just, you know, uh, find their own path or whatever they're trying to do. There's all these other, there's clinical boundaries in, in that world, right? Parent, parental boundaries, right? And are in, in, in the home life. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I need to be more authoritative than authoritarian in all those realms. Listen, I'm in recovery, you know, I have my own struggles still, right? I try to be very accepting, we call it like by trauma-informed, right? Like collaborative, um, empathetic, right? Trustworthy, I have safety, like all these principles encompass that, that modality. Like I, I try to instill that in everything I do, so. That's how I do it. I try to work on self-care. I told you I'm off all week, right? Because this stuff burns you out. You know, it's hard because like, do I get told off? Do I get cussed at? Do I get screamed at? All that stuff. People don't, they don't want to see me sometimes and that's okay. But it's about having a theme of understanding and not giving up on, I, I yelled at someone, but someone didn't give up on me the 20th time I went to treatment. And if they did, then I wouldn't be here. So I think it's to have that attitude that I was given. Maybe it's easy because I was given that. Not all the time, but sometimes. And, and I'm able to, like, give that to someone. So that that's kind of how I do it, Julie. I do think that it does grant different perspective when dealing with family members or friends who are in the struggle yeah. when you've been in that struggle firsthand. And I say that it promotes compassion because you were also a re direct result of everything that came along with it. Unless you're just like a flat out sociopath or a narcissist, I think it's impossible for a person who went through something and came out on the other side mm -hmm. to look at another person and not approach the situation, especially if you have firsthand knowledge of what this is. Yeah without compassion, without empathy, without understanding, and without like being able to say, okay, I get it, I've been there. And I know I may not have your life or your circumstances, but I know the circumstance of this. And I just want you to know when you get there, you're not alone. Doing that, saying that, being that for someone, in my opinion, will always be the difference between life and death because the choices that we make when we feel alone when we feel judged when we're already judging ourselves like i learned from my own experience watching my dad go and come out of things go through things come out of things go back into things come out of things you know mm -hmm. he was his worst enemy because he got down on himself worse than anyone in the world ever could and the guilt that he embraced and the negative self-talk that destroyed him more than any piece of gossip, than any person not being able to really understand what he was riddled with. Me, like I said, being the child on the receiving end of it, it helped change the my thought process on it and helped me be able to have a conversation where it's like, look, like you say, meet people where they are. I love you. I'm always gonna love you. Understand you've been through some things. You're not perfect. I've been through some things. I'm not perfect. I'm not holding that against you. All we have is right now and in this moment, I want you to know I love you. And as long as you are honest with me and consistent with trying to rebuild something with me, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be here. That's all I ask. That's it. If you can't give me that, 
I'm even okay with you saying I can't do that right now and walking away and I'll let you know when you're ready, I'm here. But like, don't lie to me and tell me you can give me something that you can't give me or you can be something that you can't be and then I welcome you into my life and then you put those traumas and those pains on me again. And I think that's what, it's very important for people to understand what it really truly means to meet people where they are. You, that means you're not placing your expectations of what you hope and want and need from them on them. You are looking at the situation for what it truly is, no matter how hard that may be, and you're accepting that and you're offering your unconditional love in a different way. The way to do that is by setting healthy boundaries. And I love that you said no is a complete sentence because it is, I, I not no, but not no, let me explain, no. And I'm good at it too. Like, no, no ma'am, no sir, listen. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And when you are ready to come back around, I'm here and I love you, but just don't come around with no mess. For people who are out there, especially because I know like um, I got some friends who are listeners and I know they're going through something. They lost somebody last week. Don't be judgmental. Don't be quick to write someone else's story for them. Just be firm, be compassionate, be caring, be loving. Be that person that's, hey, when you are ready, I'm here. That means I got to drive you to the treatment center. I got to give you the clothes off my back. I got to give you something to eat, a hug. Mm -hmm. I'm here for you when you're ready to show up for you. And let that be that. And to the people who are on the receiving end of loving someone through addiction, you gotta let your guilt go too. Because once we all start to heal and resolve our own demons and our own gripes with the situation is how we can heal with each other when that time presents itself and only when that time presents itself. I want you to tell us about your book because we've, we've spoken about the book a lot during the interview today, you brought it up a few times and I want everyone to know about your book and let everybody know where they can get your book. Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna give you the floor so you can do that. All right, so <clears throat> my colleague and I, Dr. Scott A. Cook, we wrote a book and we wanted to cover a lot of the stuff I told you today. A lot of the, the themes um, has a lot of my, it's, it's not an autobiography, but it's a, it's a way to maybe let readers, um, if they could identify, transform in some of these stories so they could, uh, you know, just see how, you know, it happened to me. And maybe that could, like I said, maybe they could identify. And, and, you know, it came to fruition where I was, uh, I was up getting a shower one night and uh, closed my eyes and I just opened them and I, I just had this like epiphany, right? And I, I, I heard up, got out. I like dictated on like Facebook Messenger to like Dr. Cook, right? He's like this renowned uh, recovery medicine physician, known as the traveling doctor. Like wrote many books. He's just a beyond. Just to like have him in my back pocket, I was like, listen, I need to write this book. We need to call it No Addict Left Behind. And we, like we both love like Jay-Z. So we, instead of Empire State of Mind, you know, we put it's a recovery medicine state of mind. And, uh, you know, I, I dictated that immediately. I went downstairs and it was like the Blues Brothers, how they said, you're on a mission from God. And I went down there and I just wrote and I wrote. My wife thought I was crazy and, and, and I just kept writing. And I'm in the middle of 5,000 other things. And I put my some of my experiences, whether they're personal, uh, whether they're... Uh, 
deployment with the clinical stuff uh, I do. When I put that all in there, we geared it towards pretty much anybody, right? If you're affected with addiction, whether you're a clinician, a physician, right? Any of that, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you are the addict, right? Whatever it is, uh, I feel that it's gonna apply to you. And these stories, right? I, I, I shared some of the little insights while we were discussing the, the on the show today. You know, it, it's about like how kids become collateral damage of addiction and to not give up on their parent. Julie, you shared some of that. Like, I, I, I might need to say no, I'm, I'm gonna love you from over there, right? And that's how it is. You ain't sucking the love out of me. I'm gonna love you, but you ain't getting no money off of me. Or whether, you know, we're that, you know, we're the parent in there. Their, their child like you ain't coming back here joe you come back when you're clean you come you come back after you go to treatment you ain't getting my money so um you know some of those uh experiences could touch people whether whether like right when i overdose i'm in the in the er right the stigma is so thick for an addict in the er and like oh that junkie he must not want it you know, all that stuff i threw those experiences in there listen dr cook and i are going to present to like residency staffs at hospitals on some of those same themes where listen the stigma will kill people but we have to find ways to like bridge those gaps and uh you know and you can find that in there whether you're a therapist and you don't understand like why they can't stay clean well they might not be ready you know it's not it's not us to cure people there's no cure for addiction right there's no cure we love people and we don't try not to enable them and and, and like i said recovery is individualized it's not that easy though right it's not that easy all the experiences you you talked about julie it's just not that easy right you you know your parents stuck in addiction it's just not right you don't want to give up on them but like it's it's easy too because they keep just burning your bridge right and just you know and you don't want to enable them and, and like all those things they're all they're all in there right of just how like i think my experiences can just just help people it's about just not giving up on people so you know a lot of that stuff's in there you know even the introduction right it's, it's just going to be very tangible and it could apply to a lot of different uh populations uh we rewrote it and we published it it's coming out april 25th you can buy it on amazon.com um it'll be available uh probably about seven days prior to that you pre-order it ebook hard copy paperback you know there'll be information on my website no addict left behind dot life so there there's going to be information on all that all on the social media be blasted out everywhere and like i said it's it's hopefully it just helps i just want to just help and this is just a like i said this is the season i'm in this is this is where like i'm at right now and i'm trying to be of service I'm trying to like just help people maybe in a different way right like i didn't the idea just came right and i just did it I just, like I said, I walked through a door of opportunity and like, here you go. Um, and hopefully I could help people and just pay it forward. I always say that we all have, um, we are all born with a call of service placed on our life. Mm -hmm. We are all supposed to be helping one another in some capacity. And it's, it's nice that you brought up purpose a lot and that you brought up, you know, the things that you went through placed you in position to serve your purpose because I 100% agree with you. We all have a story and we all have things that happen in our life that build us. These things weren't sent to break us. They were sent by design to build us. We all went through some sort of trial and endured so that we can come out on the other side better and then we can use those things that we've been through to be of service to other people. And then those people become better. And then hopefully they do the same thing because mm. we're all put here in one, regardless of what people think or what people you know feel, like we're all connected and we're all put here as one brotherhood and sisterhood. We're yeah. supposed to help each other along the way. Yes. Yeah, so, I agree. 
I agree. I want people to understand how important a conversation like this conversation that we're having today is because I love discussing things that remove the stigma. Yes, I agree. And there's great stigma attached to everyone that is struggling with addiction. And just because that person's struggle doesn't look the same way as yours, doesn't mean that it's not worthy of help. We put ourselves in these positions. Well, well I don't do that, so, you know, or that person, I would never, so, or I have never, so. When it's like, just because you sin differently than I do, doesn't mm -hmm. make you better than me. And I, and people need to hold on to that little tidbit right there. Like, it does not make you better than the next person because you're capable of keeping secrets better than yeah. the next person. Yeah. Or because your words may a little bit more snarky than the next person and you can cut them down before they can respond and, and present yourself in a way to be better than them. We all are going to endure in this life and what defines our character is how we come out of that. That's just a very important thing to know and it's a, it's a very important thing that I want to share because I've been through some things in life. <laughs> And I've done some things and I've been through some things. And the last thing that I'm going to do is stand on a soapbox and judge somebody else. Yeah. Because I know exactly what it feels like to go through the fire. I just want to share that with people when they're going through their own thing and they see the next person struggling. Just think about what you're going through quietly and put yourself in that person's shoes. You never know. And reach your hand out and, and help because you can be the difference between life and death. And I truly believe that one conversation, one kind gesture can genuinely change somebody. It can be that impactful in somebody's life. It may not happen in that moment, but that person may be walking down the street a week or two or a year from now and be like, dang, I needed that. It may come back full circle and you may be the very person that helped them decide that day that they want to change. That's it. I love to ask this question. Um, but before we get to this question, because I do this every show, but I, before I get to the question, going through our notes from our pre-interview, mm -hmm. I stumbled across this and I, I, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but I, I had it all highlighted like, oh my gosh, so I have to come back to this because it just, it, it was very impactful. Mm -hmm. And it says that uh, desperation can ultimately lead to hope. And that was said by you during our pre-interview. Before I ask my final question, I would kind of like you to elaborate on that because that statement it touched me in a way that was that was very inspiring and it may be able to do that for someone else I mean, when, I, when I look at that comment I, I do say I say that and I also say desperation the passion both I mean I think it, it just goes desperation the hope the passion and, and I think that's kind of like the continuum that, that what happens I mean you just look at it like you know some of my bitter ends I was ready to end my life I was sitting across from the street from the police station up my phone and I said, well, I'm just killing myself. And, you know, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And, uh, you know, I was just ready that that's it. You know, I failed at life. Sometimes all we need is like an ounce of hope. And, and, and for whatever reason, I just got like an ounce of hope. It just maybe, maybe there's like some chance of anything, some chance. 
And that's all we need sometimes. And it's just an ounce of hope. Sometimes it's, you know, hope's that principle that people can give people, right? Sometimes I see stuff. If I see it, I can be it. You know, we, uh, or maybe hear something. And for whatever reason, I, uh, I walked across that street and I turned myself in and, and you know, desperation, just like I said, it, it just, and there's hope that maybe I could do something. And then like, I go day after day and then there's hope I could, I could do something even more. And then that hope eventually evolves into some form of passion. I, I think passion's like that God within, that fire within, and, you know, and, and that's how like, when I told you like I feel I have recovery in my blood and I'm running around and 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 right it all started with hope but prior to that like it started with like desperation you know, right before I went to school I felt bored I can't do this and I'm desperate I was like I ruined everything I barely graduated high school and I got like an ounce of hope other people do it maybe I could do it and that turned into passion right I'm working on my doctorate right now I ain't playing none of that stuff. Once again, it's like my chapter, quit choosing to get chosen. Like I said, it's, it's like that path chose me because like I became passionate about life in some capacity, you know? And, and then look at me now, like I said, all those paths in my life turn from that continuum of thinking, right? So. Well, here's my question that I ask everybody. Okay. What does selective hearing mean to you? Well, I think you discussed how what is the beacon of hope that we all need, right? And I think, you know, after you were telling me how like not only is a beacon that we all have stories. So when I think of selective hearing, um, yeah, I, I like I said, I like how you put it, and, and I can identify. Listen, like I, I think there's so much in this world that we that we need to hear and we need to see and we need to feel. That's why I tried to give like a tangible experience. So like sometimes like we have the moments that we could feel. Um, we all have stories. And just like, like I says, I have a story. And, and right now that maybe that selective hearing is that, is that beacon. It is that beacon of hope that, that we need. That someone's able to just listen to my story and grow from that. Even if they just heard like a tidbit, right? And that desperation becomes passion. It, it, it helps us, right? The ability to to like learn from another person and you, you said a lot of good things and, and and like i says i i enjoyed your interpretation but like that's what it's about it's about just to be able to just learn from another human and just realize that we, we don't got to do the exact same way we could just take a little bit of that and we can grow and we could go liberation to hope and then become passionate from just like selectively listening to what they're saying but listen we might hear something else they might say hey i went to school but so our selective but we listen to that we heard hope so our selective hearing is like i heard hope out of your story but you didn't say that you just told me the story but now i became passionate from selectively hearing your hope that's my take on that and i i do want to before i move into our final thing uh let the audience know that um just from my shared experience today it, that wasn't easy for me yeah. to get to the point that i'm at that took a, i went through a lot of different processes of my own before I was even ready to sit down with my dad and say, hey, you know, things yeah. that were happening when I was a kid, this is what it did to me. And this is how I, this is how it affected me. And this is why um, I became the yeah. kind of person that I became and um, why I feel like it's necessary for me to be accountable for what I'm doing to myself now. Yeah. And me letting that go and me becoming genuine and authentic and honest with myself is mm -hmm. what ultimately led me to being able to get there with him as well. So you have to understand that you have to go through your own processes and have some hard conversations with yourself and understand the expectations of you before you go sit down and start talking to other people. So that is, that's just one thing that I do wanna share with everyone because I don't want people to be like, oh yeah, it's easy now. Nah. It wasn't. <laughs>
It wasn't. And it was real raw, ugly, and real. And like, I know I'm very transparent on this show. And a lot of things that I speak almost may seem like poetry in motion. But the way I was talking and the way that I was back in the day wasn't this refined, okay? Like, yeah. it was some cussing and some fussing and some disrespect, yeah. you know? Like, it was, oh, it went there. Yeah. So I just I just want to be clear on that, like, uh, because I, I'd like to keep everything transparent. Mm-hmm. And it was not an easy feat, but it's it's nice now to be where we are. So, <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, I can, just like I can string these words together, I can string some other words together too. <laughs> I can go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So before we go, I, I know that you mentioned your website and your book already, but I would love to have you um, let everyone know your website again, the name of your book and your social handles. And everyone, please remember that these things will also be listed in the summary for this episode and on my social media as well. All right. Uh, like I said, you can find my book April 25th on Amazon.com. My website is noaddictleftbehind.life. Okay. I'm on all the uh, social media platforms, but uh, my most free like I'm on Facebook, Joey Pagano, and then also No Attic Left Behind. Uh, this book will have a, a page also. I'm also my side business, which is the Traveling Social Workers, and that's on Facebook. I also on Instagram, Grateful and Clean, Twitter, Grateful Clean Seven, uh, TikTok, all on there, Grateful Clean. Uh, uh, most of them are, are all LinkedIn, Joseph Pagano. So you can find me on all those uh, social media platforms discussing the book. Uh, look for me on many, many, many podcasts and, and, and shows coming up, getting closer to the book. So thank you once again, You are very welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having this conversation with me. You got it. Everyone, Please take away everything that we shared with you today and just um, understand, like I said, that you can be a big difference in someone's life. And I will be back next week with a new topic and a new guest. So until next week, this is Selective Hearing. Thank you.